Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's Wednesday. See, I actually got the date right because sometimes that doesn't happen and I say it's Tuesday when it's Thursday or like it's Thursday when it's Wednesday, but it's actually Wednesday and it's a six o'clock Central Standard Time show. You know what that tells me? I must really like the person that I'm interviewing because now I'm cutting into my social drinking time. Just kidding. Hi. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, I am so excited and so nervous. So, so nervous because the person I'm interviewing today has been a long time in coming. He's been so, oh my gosh, so ever patient and so ever kind to wait for me and my schedule to accommodate him. And one of the coolest parts is I don't always get an opportunity to get around to my Canadians, which is some of the favorite on my list, some of the most favorite people that I know and love, of course. And so I'm very, very excited to be announcing that Terry Fernio is finally coming on my show for the very first time. Oh my God, I can't even... It's going to take a heck of a lot more probably than an hour to discuss all the talents and some of the exciting things and projects he's been involved in, some of the awards he's been nominated for, the music, the bands he's played in, the software that he's been endorsing lately. I mean, it's just such appropriate things to know about him. But the first thing you should know is I have a quirky little term that I have for him, which is called the sassy, silly song man. I'm sure he'll probably appreciate that. Um, He is such... An amazing individual, not just because of the talent by which he possesses, but by the fact that he takes and he turns around and he is able to endorse all of his friends on such a regular basis. I mean, every time I turn around, he's always endorsing someone for something, whether it's this project, whether it's this film, whether it's this music. I mean, it's just, I am just blown away by the amount of support that he gives to the community, which is not the norm, by the way, folks. We'd all like to believe that everybody endorses one another, but that's not necessarily the case. So it's it's very encouraging to me to be able to host somebody who actually has a keen sense on the Canadian music industry as a whole, not to mention the fact what it takes to be great in a band versus also being in a room and recording your own stuff. So without further ado, since he's on the line, we're going to get started with him, and I'm so excited to introduce my friends on radio to my friend within the realm, well, he will soon to be in the realm of my radio station. Hi, Terry. Hey, Cindy, Hello? how are you? Oh, <laughs> you smile for a minute there. It's like, okay, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I can hear you just fine. Oh, okay, good. Yep. I'm just making sure. It's like you're right next to me. Oh, my God. I was just talking about you, obviously, because you're on my show. I was just talking about how it's taken like about 75 years for you to come on the program, and I'm so sorry it's taken such a long time. I'm really sorry. Well, it wasn't just you, Cindy. It was me as well, so don't worry about that. <laughs> I know, but I feel guilty. You know how it is when you're like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to have my friend on the, you know, on the air, obviously, and you're Canadian, and I don't always get my Canadians on as much as I want, and I, I get all excited. I'm like, oh, my God, they're coming on, and then it falls through and something doesn't happen. So it's kind of like it's it's been kind of a excitement and a letdown, excitement and a letdown. So now I'm totally excited that you're here, and it's nighttime, so I can, like, have a social drink if I want. You can have a social drink if you want, and we'll chat about, like, all the talents you have. You're more talented than me. I'm so envious in the best way possible. You're like a god. I'm like on my knees right now. I'm not worthy to talk to Terry. So not worthy. Oh, now you're going to make me blush. Uh, <laughs> I don't even idea. know how to respond they to cry, that because uh, I look at your resume. <laughs> I look at your resume and you've got so much going on. I don't know how you do it. I know, all. right? Isn't it crazy? Well, it's a lot of alcohol. I'm kidding because I don't even have enough time in the day to drink all the time, but I do try. In fact, I'll be indulging shortly in a little bit of wine here. But no, I think it comes down to, and, and you can relate to this, I'm sure. That's one of the first things I want to talk to you about is carrying um, purpose and passion for what you do, I think, is, is the foreground for any creative in this world to succeed and succeed well, which is you, you have to carry both the purpose for why you're doing it and a huge passion to go along with it, which is why that resume is so big. I just love everything that I do so much. 
Um, I want to start off by telling the audience, as I started to tell them before you got on air, you weren't always doing the songwriting component. In the beginning, you were rocking out in a rock band. Um, and in fact, I'm guessing numerous Oh, songs. yeah. Yeah, I want you to start off and talk to us a little bit about your integration into being into a band and how young you were and what was the appeal to doing that side of the fence at that time, at that age? Well, when we were in probably grade seven, there was three or four of us that all got guitars at the same time. And okay. the one unifying factor was that we all completely sucked at it. And um, <laughs> We didn't care. Okay. We had a good time, and we had just made noise in my mom's basement, and she was very gracious and put up with all the noise, and we got a drummer, and she put up with that as well. And uh, gradually, we uh, came to the conclusion that uh, two of the other guys were a little bit better on guitar than I was, and I switched over to bass. And that mm-hmm. changed absolutely everything for me because I was living in a city of 35,000 people, and at one point, I was the only bass player in my age group in the entire city. So uh, all the teenage bands that were going around, that were playing around town and trying to jam in their basements and garages and stuff like that, all needed bass players. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I was in three different bands at once, and I learned how to play well in a hurry that way. Oh my God! Now you just said three different bands, right? So I'm trying to picture this in my head in terms of: Do you have? Um, how do you juggle that constructively? Meaning, are they bands of the same sort, different? genres do you know what i'm saying like was it all different types of music where you were juggling i do yeah okay today i'm playing this or this okay gotcha it was about 1976 or 77 i was in high school and uh, one band was doing what would now be considered classic rock it was all very contemporary at the time so sticks foreigner uh the cars that sort of thing um punk was just beginning as well and i was playing in a punk band as well and uh, I don't know how this one happened, but I also wound up playing bass in a Jethro Tull tribute. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which was very, very different from the others. And uh, I learned a lot about chord structure, and I learned a lot about different kinds of music playing in these three different bands at once. And uh, the one that was doing the contemporary rock stuff was also doing a very, very heavy component of original material. And, uh, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking, we're 13 and 14 years old. And right. two of the guys in the band were actually really, really good writers. And I had no idea you could write your own songs at that stage. And uh, they started bringing stuff into the band. And it was as good as the stuff that we were playing that was covers. And it opened my eyes to an entirely new world at that point. Oh, I imagine so. Well, not to mention the fact, of course, too, when you're younger, and I'm sure that you notice this now because we all age and obviously our talents – grows and, and gravitates towards different things, different directions, etc. But I was curious to ask at that young age, what did you find uh, uh, to be your primary, well, I don't want to say purpose, but just the one thing that you found that you were good at right from the get-go, first time you were in a band? Right from the get-go, I was, first of all, I, I was pretty good at, learn, at playing bass parts, learning bass parts by ear, which uh, okay. was, I thought, pretty cool at the time. The other thing was, I, dis- I discovered in the band that was doing original material that I was pretty good at helping with arranging and producing. And okay. uh, I initially had my goal set on becoming a record producer. And that was where I really wanted to go at that point in my, in my life. And I even did some post-secondary education towards that. And mm-hmm. uh, let's just say it wasn't in the cards for me to do that. Oh, no. <laughs> we want to delve in there too much then, but, do we? Oh, my gosh. No, but that's no, but it's cool. It it, it didn't work out because I discovered uh, a day job that at the time 
I liked more than the music business because the music business was pretty ruthless in the 80s. And uh, oh my gosh. I, I discovered that I didn't really like dealing with other musicians that much at that point in time because uh, there was a lot of drugs and there was a lot of alcohol and there was very little actual music uh, going on with a lot of the uh, bands that were in the scene that I was involved in. And I got fed up with the bullshit and – pardon my language. Uh, am I allowed to no, do that? you can swear on internet TV. I, got fed, I mean internet I got, radio. You could say – Shit, you could say. Yeah, I got fed up with the crap and uh, and walked away from it anyway. And gotcha. uh, put it, I sold off all my stage gear and put it all into a home studio rig and decided that if I was going to do this again, it was going to be mm-hmm. on my terms and I was going to be the writer. Sure. Oh, of course. And that, that was how it began. Well, and and also too, like back in those beginning days and such. Obviously, you're from Canada versus I, of course, being in the United States. So what I've always been curious to ask my Canadians when they come on is. When you're in a band set up, like here in the States, for instance, you go to a local bar down the road, let's say, and you have like a friend of mine who's playing tonight, Chris Curls over at The Brick. There was Gratuitous Promotion in Glendale right by my house. But he's a guy that plays in different bands. But like tonight, he'll just pull up like a keyboard and he'll play, you know, original music and some covers, et cetera. And then sometimes, you know, they expect him to bring in so much of an audience or a crowd. Now, I don't know if you remember if it was like that back in the day when you were performing because you were a kid then. But the trend in Canada, and even so, if you want to talk about it now, do you guys have that still sort of not so much pay to play, but just you need to bring in your share to get the gig? Does that make sense? I'm fine. I don't play a lot of shows, um, but what I'm finding is uh, from my other musician friends is that a lot of shows are uh, you don't get paid, you just get the door. So you have to bring ah, people in, obviously. I uh, see what you're The other thing is, uh, it used to be you'd get three nighters. You'd get a, you'd get booked for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night in a in a bar someplace if you were on the road. Okay. Now you're lucky mm-hmm. if you can get one nighter strung together to do a weekend. It's oh uh, goodness, it's much right. tougher to make a living in a, playing the bars than it used to be. Well, I imagine so, and that's got to be frustrating because I know what that's like here in, in uh, you know, like I said, in our states, obviously, it's just – it's gotten to a point where it's kind of demoralizing because you want to keep live music alive, and you want your musicians to stay excited about doing their passion, but if there's a money in it and they're devoting a lot of time and energy and not getting paid, it becomes rather frustrating, obviously. So there has to be a lot of passion and purpose, but there also has to be, you know, pocketbook there, you know, otherwise you're not doing anything. I, I totally get that. Um, before we proceed, because I have about 85 other topics, I have to ask you this because, of course, I watch your page all the time. My dear friend Terry's been having some car issues lately, so please tell me that Santa Claus brought you a new car because I worry. <laughs> oh, my car is just fine. It's a great car. It's a oh. Honda. It's just that okay. uh, things happen in clusters. And okay, I got gotcha. you. I've spent very little money on repairs on this car in the time that I've had it, but just a whole bunch of things ended up going at once. It's just a lucky, unlucky uh-huh. fluke. Because I was starting to get worried because you know how you watch somebody's – okay, that's what I thought because I'm thinking, okay, either the car is just going downhill slowly but surely or it's just a mix of bad luck because we all get our share of that because I'm like, oh, my God, this poor guy here is like having this go on, have this go on, have this go on. So, okay, good to hear that so we can move on to the next issue. Thank you for making me feel a lot better. (laughs) Now (laughs) – uh, well, you know, seriously, you watch this stuff and you're like, hey, is this person okay? And sometimes you don't have enough time to reach out and find out about that. So I figure since I have your attention, I'm just going to throw that out there. Now, as I mentioned, you, of course, live oh, in Canada, not? Ontario. You're in Ontario, of course. So talk to me a little bit That's about right, um, oh, Ottawa. Ottawa versus where am I getting Ontario from? That's weird. Okay. Well, so here's Ottawa my question. is in Ontario. Okay, so explain that to me. Because I've never been to Canada, and I am trying to – I'm trying to pick – like, I interview people from Canada all the time. Like, one will be in the Quebec area, one will be in Montreal, and then somebody will be like, well, I'm in Sherbrooke area. So, I mean, are you just, like, one big cluster, or are you just, like, a bunch of different cities? Give us a little overlay of where you are. 
we're, we're, we're very much like the states. It's um, you know you've got we've got provinces where you have states, but our provinces are much bigger physically than any state in the union, with the possible exception of Texas. Um, to drive Ontario end to end from Windsor to the Quebec border is about a 15-hour drive, I think. It's been a long time since I've done the whole route. And uh, if you go from Windsor to Thunder Bay at the other uh, up at the top near uh, near upstate Michigan. Uh, mm-hmm. the Winnipeg, the Manitoba border, uh, it's it's a couple of days of driving straight through, and wow. uh, so that's that's just Ontario. Um, Canada's vast, and we've got large areas that are fairly sparsely populated. Um, I've never been to Wisconsin, but I've been to uh, Minnesota, and uh, there oh. are some definite similarities between Minnesota and uh, some parts of northern Ontario. Um, sparse population, lots of lots of wildlife, lots of woods. So it's uh, okay. Minnesotans and I suspect Wisconsin uh, residents as well are almost Canadian. <laughs> See, I like that because somebody once told me they're like, depending on what end of Canada you're at, it only takes you to get like from Wisconsin to that part of Canada like four or five hours. But I'm like, that certainly can't be some areas because I've Googled some areas and it's like, oh, it's 24 hours away. So I'm just trying to figure out what the closest end of Canada to Wisconsin is. Is there such a thing? Because somebody claims it's like five hours away. I believe that your closest major Canadian city is probably Winnipeg from Wisconsin. Uh, if you go straight okay. up, I think you drive into Manitoba. Got it. I think. I haven't got a map in front of me, but I think that's uh, No, that's close. okay. I, I want to research that because obviously, of course, I want to come to your country for more reasons than one. Like, for instance, I have to bring it up. You know I have to bring it up because you live in Canada. Okay, so tell me what you people think of us at this point because I'm sure you know that January 20th meant the inauguration of a person into office. And um, you're from another country, so basically I just – I wonder, what do you think of this craziness? Is it, like, nuts to you guys? Are you, like, thinking, God, I'm glad I'm Canadian? I don't mean that in a bad way. I totally um, mean that in a good way. But do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the vast majority of us up here are more liberal-minded than, uh, than okay. the Republicans in the States for sure. Uh, we gotcha. do have our uh, right-wing party. We have the Conservative Party of Canada, and we just uh, went through mm-hmm. ten years under their uh, under their uh, reign of terror, in my opinion. But oh my that's God. just my opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we uh, the. A lot of us think that you have made a colossal mistake in electing Donald Trump, and oh, we're very worried about what the next four years are going to bring us. Amen. Thank um, you very much. But, you know, it's done, and there's nothing we can do about it, so we might as well just live right. with it and go along for the ride and hope it doesn't turn out as bad as we think it's going to. Well, right, and and that's what I've said to, all along to other people. They said, yeah, it must seem a little strange to people like yourself because you don't live here and you see this going on and you wonder, you know, very different. It's definitely, well, some of us well, are liberal-minded like yourself, so we're worried. We are just worried. There are a whole handful of us that are worried, even though there are huge amounts of supporters on the Trump side of the fence. I have to lay a lot of the blame at the feet of the Democratic Party, of course, because uh, they chose a puppet. They chose a candidate that they knew was not very popular, and right. uh, they made it easier for Donald. And it's really unfortunate the way things uh, went down there when you had a perfectly good candidate that could have uh, that could have beaten him. And no, I agree. You no, know, it's it I is do. what it is, right? And there's nothing we can do. Right. Well, yes, and I don't know how much you know, and I'm curious about that because I I don't really know much about the politics in your country, but I can tell you this, which saddens me, and I'm sure you've seen me say this before, is just the 
the amount of turmoil that the country is in, and not even so much over who the president is, but the fighting and all the stuff that goes along with politics and all this other stuff. You bring up one thing, and there's so much hatred and ugliness and just talking about the election and Democrat and Republican, and it just seems like it's become very personal. Do you know what I mean? The middle ground has disappeared entirely, too, and that's the most dangerous part is there's no, there's no centrist uh, political movement at all in the U.S. It's either all the way to right. the left or all the way to the right. And that, to me, is the most dangerous aspect of it all because all it does is creates more division and more hatred and more anger. And until they can find a way to reach towards the middle and at least try to actually work together in Washington instead of just trying to thwart each other's efforts, uh, I I don't see it changing. And I don't see anything getting better. And we're on the verge of that here in Canada as well. There's The liberals and the conservatives are very – polarizing and uh, our third party the, the new democratic party is a little right. further to the left than the liberals here so uh, there is the middle ground li- the liberals are basically a centrist party here which is a good thing but even mm-hmm. there they're a little to the left for some people and the conservatives are too far to the right for some people so there's uh, some, right. we have some of the same divisions here but they're not as extreme yeah i gotcha good and that's good that it's not, i mean that extremity is really starting to be Cause extenuating circumstances for lots of people. Friends losing friends. People stop talking to each other. It just it's become ugly. So let's just pray for everybody. I guess is the bottom line on that one. I was just curious on your take on that because, like I said, you know I don't get the benefit of knowing the Canadian side of things, so it's always nice to ask. Um, now I want to talk about this because this is a huge thing, and I'm so proud of you, and I'm so excited, and we're going to delve into this. As I understand it, uh, you're a platinum blood donor, which is awesome because I can't donate blood because I'm anemic, yes. so I can't do that. So. Now, I know that you have also written songs in the past, of course, to raise awareness for organ donation. So I want you to talk a little bit about why the concept of organ donation is so significant to you, and then explain to the listening audience, for those that might be considering it, why it's such a vital uh, and important thing to do for other people, in your opinion, I should say. Okay. Um, for me, it's it's very personal. I have lost a number of family members to cancer over the last several years. Oh, and one of the major components in treating cancer is you know, chemo- chemotherapy and radiation, of course. And mm-hmm. uh, that destroys the immune system of the patients. And the way to rebuild right. that is through, uh, through blood platelets. Um, and once I, I've been giving whole blood for a number of years anyway, uh, just because I feel okay. it's a good thing to do. And I heard about the platelet program and learned more about that and realized that I could directly help other cancer patients and burn victims who are the two primary recipients of platelets. And uh, I also found out that you can donate every two weeks for that here in Canada. I'm not sure what the rules are in the U.S., but here in Canada you can do platelets every two weeks as opposed to uh, every two months for whole blood. Gotcha. And uh, as a result, and because of the lifestyle I have, I can go in regularly and uh, and do that donation. And it doesn't take long to rack up a lot of donations when you're doing them every two weeks. Wow. Pretty impressive, I have to say. And I totally understand that usually. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, the song that you did to raise awareness for organ donation, because I'm sure that people listening in have not heard of it before. Talk to us a little bit about um, conceptualizing it, that, putting it together. Um, I, I'm sorry, Cindy. I don't even know what song you're talking about. I haven't done one. Well, when I was reading, um, okay, now, okay, now, let um, me just say this, because my standard MO is to do, you know, I'll talk to other friends, and of course, I'll do internet research, and somewhere on the internet, it indicated that you had done a song at some point 
that raised awareness for organ donation. So unless I misread it, or maybe it's out there and it shouldn't be, I guess that's why I'm asking you, because I assume that if it's reported, it's true. <laughs> but if you don't, you don't. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I have done I have done the occasional show no. that was okay. to raise awareness. Maybe that's I've done it? things like that. Hmm. That must be it, but because no I haven't song, written eh? a song specifically for organ donation. Well, maybe that's what you should do. Is maybe you're on the show today, so you can be like, "Hey, you know what? I need to I need to do a song to raise awareness for organ donation," which I don't necessarily think is a bad idea. So there you go. I just threw you an idea right there. I, no, I think it's a, a brilliant idea, actually. I think that's totally. And what I'm it really is, to make, I'm I think starting to think about things. Yes, this is absolutely awesome. Um, now, to those that don't know this, maybe we could just go over some of the credentials in terms of, or some of the criteria, I should say. If you want to become an organ donor, um, can you advise us as to how that happens exactly? I really know very little about how to go about being an organ donor. Truthfully, I don't know what the regulations are in the U.S. Uh, here, hmm. in our, here in Canada, we can actually uh, fill out an application at, on our driver's license application. And okay, gotcha. uh, there's a spot on there for uh, organ donation right there because, well, let's face it, the vast majority of people who die while they're still healthy die in car crashes. And uh, they want something that's right there in your wallet that when you're at the hospital, they can tell right away if you're an organ, organ donor. And uh, I don't know whether it's legally binding or anything like that, but it just lets them know at the hospital that these are your wishes anyway. And uh, to me, that's an important thing because time is so sure. important when it comes to organ donation. And I, I think France has the right idea. They're actually instituting a new, a new law over there that it's uh, presumed consent unless you say otherwise. Wow. And I think that is the way to go. Um, it takes the moral ambiguity out of it because if you have religious beliefs that don't necessarily condone or, uh, organ donation but don't specifically uh, – that don't specifically uh, deny it either. It means that mm-hmm. you can just not fill out that form and your body will be donated where it's useful without you having to deal with any of the uh, religious ramifications wow. of that choice. Holy mackerel. Look at that. Well, in some ways, I once, I'm, once I'm done with me, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> just take me and disclose of you at will or use me as you can. That's awesome, though. Yeah, you, know, you can use my kidneys to play like hockey in the, in, the, in the hallways of medical school if you want to. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute i like that it is so listen to that yeah, take what's useful and play and do whatever you want with the rest of it yeah <laughs> you betcha and of course obviously we want to remind everybody how important and significant it is even if you do it a couple of times a year just going out and doing the blood donation thing or the plasma thing hugely important in the lives of other people i kind of goes without oh, yeah. saying and it, you Absolutely. Know, it, i mean you're in and out within an hour i think it was the last time i did donate a long time ago and then once the anemic thing came out they're like no you shouldn't be donating i'm like what am i gonna die but you know they're like oh you shouldn't do it so i'm like whatever but folks, really seriously, it only takes about an hour of your time, certainly. And if you get a minute to check into the whole organ donation thing, I'm sure if you go to your local DMV, they'll be able to advise you in terms of, you know, getting it on your license. What they should be able to advise you, and the American Red Cross should right. be able to advise your American listeners. As right. Well. That's what I thought. Look at this. We're like one big public service announcement. How exciting. Speaking of which, we got to talk about this. Just like it wasn't fabulous enough that, A, he's a platinum blood donor, B, if you even look on his page for even more than half a day, what you're going to find is the work of other people, which I find astronomically wonderful because I do that myself all the time. He is huge on promoting the work of other artists, and that's awesome. And why? Because that doesn't happen. Let me tell you, I'm in an industry where people are usually 
usually they can be very good about promoting like talent, but it's, it's a rarity. It's becoming more of a rarity. So I commend you hugely on your ability to go out and promote other individuals who are doing the same or similar work as yourself or trying to establish themselves. So I thought to myself, this is so cool. I'm going to shut up for two minutes. And if there's anyone off the top of your head that you could think of that you want to promote that you think that anyone in my audience should know, take your two minutes, talk about your friends, talk about anybody you want. Go. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I know, right? I there know, right? Of, there <laughs> I are know. a lot of people, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's some amazing, don't talk amazing. About, uh, don't talk about Chelsea and well, don't talk way, about the Marshall because they've been on the show. Oh, that's no fun at all. <laughs> well, I can't help myself. They've already promoted themselves. So I'm like, well, we can't yeah. really like say uh, them again. Well, well, here's here's the way. The thing is, the Canadian country music community, the small ones, is only like if you go to the convention uh, at the DW, the Canadian Country Music Awards. There's about a thousand right. of us, and uh, that's a small, small industry. And we're competing <laughs> against all the big wheels from Nashville, and oh, it's right. difficult. And there's some fantastic up and coming artists here that. Uh, you know, they're still independent. Uh, we don't have a major right. label system like they have in the U.S. So it's much tougher gotcha. to break through here in Canada. And, huh. and like, there are people in every province. Uh, I could work my way across the country. There's a um, – I'm in Saskatchewan alone. I'm working with five or six different artists, including one that I think is going to be a very, very big deal named Tegan Little Chief. And uh, I was introduced to her by another songwriter from Calgary who uh, – who contacted me, he said, uh, you know, they need something in a hurry because she's going into the studio next week and they decided the song that she was going to cut isn't good enough. And uh, he said, I don't have anything, but I thought you might. So uh, have a go. And I sent her, I got in touch with her. I found out what she was looking for and I sent her a demo that evening. And a week later mm-hmm. she recorded it and three weeks later it was released. That's oh my gosh. It usually, that does not usually happen. It doesn't go that fast here. And uh, she took that song as an independent artist with basically no backing at all, just her and uh, a woman doing radio tracking for her, managed to get that song into the 80s on the Canadian country music charts and all the way to number okay. one on the national Aboriginal charts. Oh, my and, God. Uh, and like, I, I, I never thought I would ever be able to say the words number one record uh, in my career because I sure. know I'm working on the outer edges in the, you know, on the ind- in, completely on the independent side of things. I don't have a publisher backing me. I'm doing it all myself. And mm-hmm. to get a number one record with a new artist on the original charts is just huge. And uh, her and I wrote the follow-up single together, and uh, she got to number four on the national Aboriginal charts with that one as well and placed even higher on the mainstream country charts. So uh, awesome. she's one that I think is definitely one to watch. And, okay. Uh, that's Anybody else? A little cheap. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm working with uh, right now. I'm working with a, a new artist right here in Ottawa named Jessica Pearson. Okay. And she's okay. doing something very different. It's more uh, bluegrassy with a little bit of a Celtic feel to it. And her band is Jessica Pearson and the East Wind. And they've okay. just released their first single. And she's an absolute pleasure to work with. I think she's going to be a big deal. And uh, but, like I could go on for like the next three hours about that. There's a band in uh, Alberta called Domino. And I've had one cut with them so far on a song that I co-wrote with, uh, with their vocalist and bass player. And it didn't end up being released as a single, but the album that it was on became the album of the year at the Alberta Country Music Awards the year it came out. And they are a band that is going to be a really, really huge act on the Canadian country scene, I think. So uh, okay. they're another one I'll give a shout-out to. That's, so that's Domino. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, like, there's just... 
that's the cool thing about being a songwriter is I can work with a variety of different people in a variety of different genres. I'm even working with a couple of pop artists and I've had an offer to uh, write a jazz tune with somebody and that's like learning a new language for me. So I don't know how that's going to go. <laughs> I was just going to say the minute you says uh, the minute you said jazz, I was like, okay, you know what you should do? Go see La La Land. Have you saw La La Land yet? Not yet, but I intend to. That looks like a wonderful. I was just going to say, yeah, it does, and it's got that kind of music in it, the jazzy sort of music, and it'll get you a great, you know, because it's they're touting it as a modern day musical. I mean, it's a seven out of ten in my opinion, but I think it'll give you that good thing because I know what it's like to do something that's out of your boundary, so to speak. Like you've not done it before, you're not used to it. But God knows, you've been working with artists and doing music so long, it's like your second nature. You'll be perfectly fine. That's just my thought. So, but that's because I'm a groupie of yours, so you could do no wrong. Period. I call you the sassy, silly song man. That's my name for you. Terry is the sassy, silly. Oh, that's song pretty man. cool. I like you, that. I totally do too. You know why? Because have you ever read your page? You're smart ass, and you're silly, and you're goofy, and you're over the top, and like the coolest way possible, and not in like a jerky way, but you're kind of like he could be a real smart aleck. And then I was picturing this like with you as scotch in your hand, like okay, he had a drink, and now he's even more silly. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's why you're. That's exactly what I'm like when I drink too. Yep. Amen. Yeah. Me. Thank you very and, much. No, I, awesome. I write some songs that are very funny, but I take them very seriously too. So. Mm-hmm. Sorry, well, I didn't catch the last one. No, no, no. I was going to say that's going to be one of my questions is when you're composing a song, like, for instance, Lady Gaga, and this cracks me up because she's like, I drank a bottle of brandy and I wrote this song and I'm thinking you drank a bottle of brandy and you passed out. So my question to you is, um, from a musician standpoint, because I'm a writer, but like if I write, like if I write my show or whatever, you don't catch me drinking. I mean, you wouldn't catch me drinking to save my life. Afterwards, fine. So do you find that there are certain stimulants or things, whether they're physical or non-physical, that help you produce the best product possible from a musical standpoint? Uh, caffeine. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a coffee junkie. Um, oh, seriously, yeah. I, uh, I'm down now. I'm down to about six cups a day, but for years and years, oh, I was 15 oh. cups a day. Oh, my God, Yeah, Harry, my doctor turns white when I told her, so I figured I'd better cut it back. <laughs> Oh my God! That's what I thought. Dude, get a get a new hobby, okay? Because that's crazy. But yeah, two or three cups a day is my normal now. But uh, I usually have a pot on the go when I'm ready with somebody, and uh, just because I need to be alert and awake, and it it tends to keep my brain firing at a pretty high rate. So there you go. Sure, I can imagine that. Well, and like I said, that being said, right now I've got a little shot of fireball. How ironic, because I got I'm me sorry? a little vodka. I, I, that's ironic, because I have me a little vodka sitting on the table, and I'm having a cocktail. So I'm cheering you all the way from the great state of Wisconsin to the lovely country of Canada. We're cheering one another on this fine Wednesday evening, having a cocktail and talking about Terry's music, because I'm a groupie, and he's a sassy, Absolutely. silly song man. I'm telling you right now, you're going to book more gigs. <laughs> Tell them flat out, I'm the sassy, silly song man. That's what they call me in Wisconsin. I'm telling you, having a tagline matters. I'm just going to say that. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. On to the next thing. As an artist, I agree oh, that a tagline definitely matters as well. And that's one thing uh, I was no, talking to, uh, to Jessica about. When... Oh, totally. Right. Yeah, you have, to have, you have to be able to sum it up. It's like pitching a movie. You have to be able to sum yourself up in one phrase. So and, I'm going to do uh, just you know, that. It's like when you go into a pitch a movie, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know it's, like, it's like Jaws in a high rise. You know, if you're pitching a movie <laughs> idea to somebody. You know, it's whatever it is. <laughs> oh, my God. You are too like, How would you pitch Sharknado? Yeah. Oh, that's a tough call, actually. So if I were to ask you to give yourself a tagline back then for when you were rocking it out, what would you say about yourself? What would your tagline have been for yourself? I know, good question, right? We do the tough stuff on my show. That's a really really good question, yeah. Uh, Well, you see my picture on my Facebook profile. I looked 
I, I looked have, like and that you scare pretty me. much when I was a teenager. Seriously? And uh, but seriously, yeah. Like I look, I you know, I had longer hair, but I always had the big glasses, and I looked basically like the same goofy guy I look like now. Uh, so I didn't really look rock and roll. I looked more like Bunny Carlos than Jimmy Page. <laughs> so it was, a, it was always a tough one. You know, I'd go in there, and uh, you know, they'd look at me and they'd think, "Oh man, this is gonna suck." And then I'd start ripping into Chris Squire and Getty Lee stuff on the bass, and the way we'd go. But I got fired from the punk band I was in for showing up for a gig in a CPC. <laughs> Are you serious? I'd had enough of their crap, and I wanted out anyway, so I figured I'd make it easy for them. Oh, I got it. So you kind of provoked your firing. I was going to say, I can't even picture somebody firing oh, you. Yeah. That's like absolutely insane. Serious? Seriously, that's exactly what I did. They let me play the gig because they needed me. But as soon as that gig was over, they uh, said, don't come back. No, no, I totally get what you're talking about. <laughs> it was the most no, fun I ever had getting canned. Well, that's what I was going to say to you was, like, for instance, how important do you think it is? And this is a little bigger than the tagline thought, but it does go along the same line, which is how important is it to micromanage yourself on social media? Because everybody talks about nowadays the secret to your success is, oh, I have 8,000 Instagram followers. Hell, I got 700 some. And I'm like, you know what? Oh, well, I'm not stressing. But you know what I mean? We have so many social media platforms. So how important do you feel it is to be able to manage yourself well on social media to do well in the real world? Make sense? I think it's very important. And I also think that this is a case if you're an artist where Mm -hmm. it's a good idea to bring in a social media professional. Someone who really, really knows what they're doing to help you to help you with it. You still have to do a lot. I am very distrustful of people who don't do any of their own posting uh, because mm-hmm. that's letting it go too far the other way. But mm-hmm. having someone that can, first of all, in some cases, maybe help rein in your wilder impulses. I know Blake Shelton has had some issues with that in the past. Right. Um, but someone who knows how the game is played and can help you maximize social media without overexposing yourself or without letting you do something stupid that's going to damage your career. Um, And there are companies that specialize in that. There's a very good one here in Canada called Black Mountain Social Media that's run by a very Mm -hmm. good friend of mine. And uh, she's working with some young and -and up-and-coming artists and helping them avoid making some mistakes along the way. And I think that's very important. And, you know, you can have a personal page and you can have a professional page. That's also another way to go for a lot of people. And I've got both. I find that there's a lot of crossover between the two for me just because of the way I am. I just – I have a hard time separating my social life from my musical life. And that's I see what you're talking about. No, I agree with you. I have absolutely no separation. You've read my wall long enough to see that I'm pretty blunt and pretty open and pretty out there. I think there should be a small division. I can oh, yeah, you're like me. No filters. Like, I know. And, that, you know, there are some people that literally will message me and they like, I totally love that you have no filter. And I'm like, right? Because who's going to yell at me? I mean, seriously, who's really going to yell at me if I say something I shouldn't? I'm like, come on now. What's the worst thing? I've been trying to be on the positive kick lately where I'm like, okay, nobody has a reason, but I do get yelled at it all the time. Like, you're this personality. You're not supposed to talk. Oh, I'm not supposed to be human, right? Now that I'm on radio or now that I do this, I'm not human anymore. So I guess I can't act like I'm human, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't buy into that. Right. I don't buy into that at all. I think that's that's people projecting their own hangups on you. Thank you very much. So I'm like, you know what? I know I'm a personality to some extent, but it's like I don't think I'm being a jerk. I'm not going out and saying let's shoot people and let's do this or this. I'm just keeping it real. If I'm depressed, I'm gonna let you know I'm depressed. Well, yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're not Rush Limbaugh here. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to be Rush Limbaugh (laughs) either. Thank you very much. No, don't want to do that. No, I don't. He's another one of him. 
No, I agree I with you. I definitely think that that's crazy. Well, and that brings me to my obvious point, which is this. Obviously, we all have people that are recognizable that we look up to or we enjoy their style, etc. So having said that, are there particular songwriters or performers that influence or inspire you in particular? Yes, there are. There are several. Um, your readers, your readers, your listeners might be more familiar with some of the American ones that I could mention. Uh, there's a couple mm-hmm. writers in Nashville that are really, really amazing writers, and uh, sometimes they get enough attention, sometimes they don't. One of them is uh, a guy from, uh, well, he lives right in Nashville. His name is Chris Wallen, and he's written a lot of number one hits for people like uh, Kenny Chesney, and uh, I think he's had a mm-hmm. couple of George Strait hits and Things like that. Chris is a wonderful writer. He wrote the the good stuff, which is one of my absolute favorite songs ever that Kenny Chesney did. And mm-hmm. it's basically it's a guy who's just turned a hundred, looking back at his life and uh, how he got to be a hundred. And that to me is a, the kind of song I aspire to write in my life. I would right. love to write a song that has that kind of impact on people. So Chris Wallen ah. is definitely near the top of my list in terms of people in Nashville. Uh, Hugh Prestwood is okay. another one from Nashville. Uh, he lives in Nashville now that's uh, very, very solid. He wrote The Song Remembers When. Uh, that was a big hit for Trisha Yearwood back in the 90s. Um, oh, yeah. More, contem- more contemporary, there's, uh, there's a young guy by the name of Dave Berg. Well, he's, uh, I guess he's in his 40s now, but Dave Berg is very, very good. He co-wrote mm-hmm. uh, uh, Stupid Boy with, uh, with Sarah Burton. Burton or Buckton? Oh. Sarah Buckton, I think. That was a, that was okay. a big hit for uh, for Keith Urban. Um, mm-hmm. Dave also co-wrote Moments, which was a huge hit for a Canadian band called Emerson Drive. And uh, he's a writer that I really like. Uh, also, uh, in terms of Canadian writers that are down in Nashville now, my absolute favorite writer is a woman by the name of Patricia Conroy. And okay. uh, she's had a lot of hits on her own up here as an artist, plus as a, as a songwriter working with other artists here. But uh, she has a cut on the new Reva McIntyre album that is absolutely beautiful. Oh, nice. So nice. she's something I really Reva. like. And Carolyn Don Johnson okay. is another one that I really, really like. She had a couple of hits in the U.S. and uh, has now faded more back into the background of being a songwriter. And uh, she also goes on the road as a guitar player with Miranda Lambert on occasion. Oh, nice. So there's a, that is really cool. So there's a lot of, a lot of good writers out there. Um, Oh man, uh, that that's another conversation. Derek Rotan is another guy from uh, from Bracebridge, Ontario, a little little tiny place up in cottage country here in Ontario. Uh, okay. That's about as close to, to Wisconsin as you're going to get is uh, the Muskoka <laughs> area of Ontario. But uh, Derek Derek uh, co-wrote uh, "What Was I Thinking," which was Dirk Bentley's first number one hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Derek's another writer that I really admire his work ethic and the quality of the stuff he's doing. Like right now, it's kind of frustrating listening to country radio because so much of it is drinking beer down by the river with your girlfriend and her Daisy Dukes who doesn't even have a girlfriend. Don't you ever that. notice it? My dog died, my cat died, my girlfriend left me, I need to cry. I think it's depressing sometimes, don't you? I mean, I get bummed out sometimes listening to that music. It's well, that's, beautiful, you know, but it's more sad. old style country than what they're doing now. I gotcha. Yeah, right. it does happen. And for a while there, they were doing a lot of songs about soldiers not coming back from Iraq and stuff like that. Right. Which is, you know, like there's definitely a need for songs like that. But uh, mm-hmm. for a while, the only way you could get a ballad on radio was to have it be about a soldier who didn't make it back home. And uh, mm. I think, you know, it's what's happened in the mainstream music industry is they've gone lowest common denominator across the board, just like they have on television and in movies. They go for the right. easy buck. They go for the easy song that's going to get played, and the playlist gets smaller and smaller and less diverse. And I think we're on the verge of a renaissance in country music because um, mm-hmm. 
well, some of the some of the it happened in the states. Uh, Americana is now becoming as popular as mainstream country in the U.S., and I think that's a very healthy trend because that's where a lot of the quality songwriting is happening now. Is in the Americana mm-hmm. movement down there. Uh, country writers are are still writing great songs, but they're getting harder and harder to get cut. Right. And we're starting to see some of that happening here in Canada as well. We're seeing people that uh, are branching out from country into more into folk and. Uh, bluegrassy and Celtic music a little bit. So the, and that diversity is gradually creeping back into uh, what they're playing on country radio. Thanks to people like in the States, Chris Stapleton and Sturgill Simpson. And I think it's a good time to be a songwriter in terms of that, in terms of actually making money. It's a terrible time to be a songwriter, but that's that's because of the new music industry and the way things are working now, because people aren't buying albums. All right. No, I know. So it's a, so if you're not doing it for the art, you're uh, really – if you're not doing it for the love of the music, then you're screwed right. to begin with anyway. No, I agree uh, Because you. the money's not there either anymore. That's what I always so tell people. I'm like, so I'm I think I'm going to write what I want to write. Amen. Yeah, if I, if I can't write stuff that I like, I don't want to bother. <laughs> well, that's yeah. exactly right. Well, there's that there's dozens of dollars to be made. Right. You should be able to make a living doing art as far as I'm concerned. I agree with you. No, I agree completely, 100%. And I think that, you know, it's, but it's kind of the same thing with any kind of word smith work, so to speak. You know what I mean? That's what you get television from. That's what you get film from. That's what you get songs from. I mean, it all revolves around the written words. So I wish that there was a more of an appreciation for it, not just in general, but monetarily. You know what I mean? Well, you know what I'm talking about. It's frustrating. It can be very, I know exactly very what you're talking about. Yeah. And I've, yes, because you're living it. And my day, job, my day job for the last 35 years was in the book publishing industry. And we see the same oh, thing there, too. And, you know, unless you can go out oh, I know. and sell the book out of the trunk of your car and sell a quarter of a million copies, mm-hmm. the publishers aren't even interested in looking at your manuscript anymore. Exactly. Like how the I hell know. Are you supposed to get started. Amen. You got to come on radio shows and talk to people, and you got to promote yourself. You have to learn to literally be your own publisher, your own promoter, your own marketer. I mean, literally, it's really all in the power of your hands. You know, I mean, it's just that's the way that we've revolved things around here, unfortunately. But it's true. You know, it's one of those things. Now, I uh, the good side of that thought, though is once you do get a, a deal with one of the majors, then you mm-hmm. know exactly what to expect from them and know how the game is played. Right. So there right. is an upside to it as well. It means that you're going in there much more prepared when the time does come. Correct. Oh, I agree with you 100% as far as that goes and stuff. Now, when I was uh, looking around at some personal items to learn about Terry, oh, my God, I saw that you love this movie called Reliving Marilyn. You have to tell me about this because I'm a fanatic. I'm a Marilyn Monroe fanatic. And this is actually something I've never heard of. So tell me about this film. Do you know something about this film? Because I've never heard of it. This, this is a small film that was actually done here in Ottawa by a local filmmaker named uh, Morgan Blackburn. And uh, his wife, or I think they're married. Yeah, they're married. Uh, His wife, uh, when she does does herself up, is a dead ringer for Marilyn Monroe. Oh, my God. And we we did a nightclub scene for the movie uh, where they needed to have the music piped in, and she was singing singing over the track. And Mm. I helped out on the set that day. I I worked the sound for that and had the uh, music going so they could uh, sing to audio, sing to video for that. And Mm. uh, I spent a full day on the set for them. And my God, she looked like her. She sounded like her. She moved like her. And it was absolutely extraordinary. And then when they finished shooting, I got a chance to say hello over chatting. And she has an incredibly thick Quebecois French accent when she's talking normally. Oh, my gosh. But she was able to sing exactly like Marilyn. And 
Aww. It was wonderful. It was a it was a really fun experience. I haven't seen the finished film yet, but what I, the, the parts that I have seen have been extraordinary. Oh my gosh! No, I'm so excited. We have to keep me posted on that because I totally would be digging on that. I would absolutely love to check that out without a doubt. I mean, I'm putting my bin in right now. Absolutely love that. Well, if you shoot me a message afterwards, I can actually put you in touch with the director, and you can talk to him and maybe set up a meeting. Oh, that would be awesome. Oh, my God, I love you. You rock. That's it. Don't deal. Absolutely wonderful. Now, before we keep talking about how wonderful you are, I have to do a sideline here because we like to talk about this. I have various artists that come out all the time. I know that you got your education at Chatham Collegiate. Now, some artists swear by the fact that life experience is the best that there is, meaning they went to school and dropped out or they went to college and dropped out or went to college and finished. So talk a little bit about how your educational experiences have kind of well-rounded you in terms of an artist, meaning that, like I said, some folks think that playing and writing and composing is the best practice there is out there. So to those that are listening in that might want to embark on a career, whether it's being a songwriter or being a musician, what would you advise in terms of um, educational experience? Listen to everything. Don't just, hmm. you know, if you like heavy metal, don't just listen to heavy metal. Uh, if you listen to heavy metal, hmm. listen to classical as well. You'll hear all kinds of wild violin solos and violin concertos and things like that that will inspire you as a guitar player. Uh, if okay. you're a drummer, listen to jazz. Listen to Motown. Love Motown. Uh, listen to absolutely every genre you can, unless you really, really can't stand it. Like, I'm personally not a big rap fan. I have, find it very difficult to listen to a lot of gangster rap stuff. But even there, there's good and there's bad. But but you have to develop your ear. You have to develop a sense of what's good and what's not good and why. And that's the key. Take the song apart. Analyze it. Follow, learn the structure. Find out what they're doing and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. I learned more listening to Motown than I did listening to country. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, I grew no, up near Detroit. But I'm, a, I'm a Canadian side of the oh. uh, border, but very close to Detroit. So. Gotcha. So I grew up right in the uh, right in the era with the Miracles and the Four Tops and the Temptations and Stevie Wonder and Smokey and all those guys. And oh, you so learn cool. about songs when you're listening to those two-and-a-half, three-minute pop songs on the radio. And what you learn listening to that stuff and listening to the Beatles or uh, any of the other bands from that era is how to put a song together. What okay. makes the song tick? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that lesson became crystal clear when I was in about grade six six or grade seven, um, my music teacher was giving me a ride home from school one night because I don't recall the circumstances. There was something going on and I had to go to do something for the school at another, at another school in town. And my music teacher was there and he drove me home afterwards. And on the way home in the car, we were listening to Simon and Garfunkel and I'd never heard it. I'd never heard them before. And And I said, uh, I said to my teacher, I said, why aren't you teaching us this kind of stuff in school? Like, why aren't you letting us listen to this kind of stuff? Because this was at a time when they had us sitting in a, the library with headphones on listening to Mozart and considered mm-hmm. that teaching us about music. And ah. he said, I would love to, but my hands are tied by the, by the curriculum. This is what I'm told okay. I have to teach. And I know that some of it works and some of it doesn't work, but this is what they told me I have okay. to do. And it's a, up to me. We'd be listening to this. We'd be listening to the Beatles. And, you know, he'd start rattling off things that I should be listening to, and I started taking notes. So yeah. he turned me on. This is this would have been around 1970, I guess. Okay. 71. Yeah, 70, 71. And he said, listen to Simon and Garfunkel. Listen to the Jefferson Airplane. Listen to the Beatles. And then he'd go back and he'd say, listen to the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Like, he was just mm-hmm. telling me key 
artists from different eras and different types of music that I should check out. He mentioned Chris Christopherson. Uh, he mentioned uh, he mentioned Bob Dylan. That one never did take with me. I never really got Dylan, but uh, but he mentioned Dylan. He mentioned uh, some of the other big folk artists from the '60s, like Joan Baez and uh, Oh my gosh, Pete Seeger and some of the you know, some of the early folk artists that uh, to this day I still listen to a lot of this stuff. But and he said you'll never hear me talk about any of these people in the classroom because I'm not allowed to. The curriculum gotcha. was very very tight in those days. I gotcha. And uh, that was that was the beginning of my real musical education. Ah, I like that. So then I started now, experimenting and trying to find different kinds of radio stations and all that sort of stuff. So that's when it all opened up for me. Sure. Oh, of course, without a doubt. Now I'm going to give you a second to relax here because there's two different songs. Well, there's more than two that you gave me, but there's two that I picked actually. So um, if you could give a little intro oh, to the first one that we're playing, which is um, Bulletproof. So talk to the audience a little bit about um, mm. backstory on Bulletproof, and I can play that. Okay, the backstory on Bulletproof was uh, I was having a conversation with one of my uh, one of my friends. We were walking on our way to uh, an event at, during um, a book a book convention when I was uh, still in the book mm-hmm. industry, and uh, and Heather was a few years older than me, and her husband uh, was probably about five years older than me, I guess, maybe a bit more. Okay. But uh, you know, they were active, healthy people. You know, they'd go on kayaking trips and uh, you know, hiking and cycling, all this kind of stuff. And uh, he wasn't feeling well. Went to the doctor one day, and uh, next thing you know, he's on the table having a bypass. Oh my gosh. And. Uh, yeah, and she was just completely flabbergasted. She was still processing all this in her mind because it only happened a couple of days before this trip. And mm-hmm. she said, I don't, I don't know what the hell to think now. I, mean, I, I, thought, I always thought he was bulletproof. And ah. you know, that just stuck in my head. And uh, the idea came initially from that little spark, and uh, that wound up being the second verse of the song, was talking about oh. him. Um, gotcha. And shortly after that, I was making a trip to the East Coast in Canada for another convention, and uh, that mm-hmm. was like a lot. A lot of driving with stops in the way to see some of my customers along the way, and that was, you know, it was. I loved going out there. It was be- it's a beautiful country. It's like going to New England. Sure. And uh, always things coming by the window that you don't see normally at home, and things will trigger ideas in your mind. And I just happened to come over the top of a hill and into a, the area for a local radio broadcast as the news was hitting. And they were talking about some kid who had been killed in an ATV accident. And uh, that got my mind going in a totally different direction. And mm-hmm. gradually over the course of this three-week road trip, this song came together uh, with some elements of truth, some elements that were completely made up. And I was looking for something to unify the entire idea together. And I wound up, stopped at a traffic light, and I looked out my side window, and I saw one of those old-fashioned uh, yellow and white Oh, sorry, red and white barber poles. Remember mm-hmm. those old? Remember the old barber poles that you used to have in all the small towns? I saw one of those for the first time in years, and okay. all the pieces fell into place in that instance, and uh, the song was finished that later that day. Oh my God! And that's what all I can say about it. That's awesome. Well, you don't need to say anything else because I'm going to play it. So we'll give you a little rest for three minutes and fifty seconds. This is bulletproof. Yep. Jamie Morgan broke his neck on an ATV. I'm pretty sure he'll walk again, but we'll have to wait and see. His grandpa was in my chair at a quarter to three, telling me 
he ate the right foods And he didn't drink or smoke When the doctor called him in He thought it was a joke Quadruple bypass later He just about went broke You never know Know just what I've got I've got the kind of life That I know can't be bought If I've learned anything In this old barbershop We're only bulletproof Till God gets a clean shot Cheating husbands in here when they got caught. And teenage boys who tell me which girls the thing for hot. And the angry dads come in and I help those boys to not get shot. I'm so lucky, I know just what I've got. I've got the kind of life that I know can't be bought If I've learned anything in this old barber shop We're only bulletproof Till God gets a clean shot There's no predicting when the end is gonna come So I try to fill each day Thank you so much for sharing that one. I think that's awesome. I think they're going to like the second one too, but we'll get into into a little while, obviously. Now, um, I thought this was super exciting when I saw this little fact because your music has been contributed to two two different films, actually, Rockland and, of course, The Gasleys. Um, one of them was more recent I had heard about. So um, I guess first I want to talk about Rockland. Yeah, Gasleys hasn't even been 
The Gasly's is just about to come out. It's uh, kind of an 80s oh, okay. retro horror film. And okay. uh, I haven't actually seen it yet, to be honest with you. So I don't really oh. know what more to tell you about it. Uh, okay. Uh, Rock, Rockland, I, I know a bit more about. It's, uh, that one was done, a teen, a teen musical comedy that was done a few years ago. It's a local filmmaker here in Ottawa, again. Uh, his name's Brett Kelly. And uh, he does a lot of fun, spoofy, horror type movies. He did one called Jurassic Shark. Uh, he did My Fair Zombie, okay. which, in addition to being a very, very fun movie, became a very successful stage play here as well. Sure. And uh, like this is the kind of stuff that he does. And uh, Rockland was a teen musical about a bunch of kids trying to save their community center. And uh, that was right in my wheelhouse. You know, he just said, well, you know, we need some Taylor Swift type country sort of stuff. What do you think? And I said, right. sure, no problem. And uh, I sent him a demo of a bunch of things I had already written. And I got together mm-hmm. with the young girl that was doing the lead in the film and uh, wrote a couple songs specifically for her to do as well. And oh three of the God. songs wound up making it into the picture. That's so and that was a exciting, lot of fun. I know you, <laughs> oh, it's, it was a total gas, and I absolutely loved doing it. Right. And right. Uh, when the, the Gas Lease Project came along, uh, I said, well, you know, look, I, I like the script. I like what you're doing with this, and I would love to contribute some songs to this one too if I could. And, and I sent him a few things, and uh, he found a couple things that worked for him, and uh, he put them in, and away we went. So there you go. I uh, wasn't even a case of exciting. actively pitching my stuff to the big leagues, but you know, on a small scale, this is the kind of things that are being done. There's a tremendous filmmaking community here in Ottawa. And uh, I'm becoming more involved in that over time as well. As, uh, you know, I do a lot of background work in uh, TV and film production here as well when I have the time to do it. And because of that, I'm meeting people in that world. And, you know, the opportunities are coming to pitch my songs that way. And that's one of the uh, few areas of the music industry that's actually growing is movie and film placement. Exactly. And so it's so exciting. I love on that front. Eventually that might lead somewhere too. That is so cool, Very isn't good. it? And and I and I'm a huge supporter of all that good jazz and stuff like that. And I don't think people realize how many outlets there are within the film industry for a musician to be part of. You know, I'm I've orchestrated my first film festival. I have uh, music every night by different acoustical musicians. I am doing a film where I'm using fifteen musicians that I know. I think it's it's very integral, you know, the the just the relationship between filmmakers and musicians or even not even just on a film level, like commercial work, for instance, like here in the States, I don't know where, how it is in Canada, but tons and tons of musicians are recruited regularly to do music for commercials. Is the commercial industry um, saturated there or is there still a lot of growth it's, that can be found there in the Canadian area? I think there's still growth here. Uh, okay. I think there's still growth in the U.S. as well. I think it's a major, major outlet for people that are doing independent music because, right. uh, you know, let's face it, Cadillac is going to license people like the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin for their ads. But who are the sure. smaller companies going to be licensing? They're going to be licensing in- – Excuse me. They're going to be licensing independent musicians, or in the case of Apple, they're going to be finding the real cool up-and-coming indie bands, and they're going to showcase them like ex-ambassadors. Um, right. Or Mumford and Sons or whoever the hot band of the moment is, they're going to turn up in an Apple commercial and it's all going to suddenly explode for them. And it's great. Oh, correct. And oh, yeah. that's an area that I would love to be able to court more actively, but I don't, I don't know you know how to go about that at this point. So I'm starting small like I do with everything else. Well, of course. And there's nothing wrong with that because look at what his starting small has got him. He talks so modestly and it's like, oh, my God, he's oh, yeah. in life. Oh, that's right. I'm a groupie. I forgot. Sorry. I'll keep singing your praises. Well, um, I've actually – I had a five-year plan in the beginning. Uh, when Did I you? first started out, I had a five-year plan, and I, I achieved it in three years. And 
I haven't figured out what the next five-year plan is yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you just do. How funny. It's, it wasn't That's, even really intentional. It's just I just being in the right place at the right time and being able to actually take advantage of that when the opportunities came my way is what it basically comes down to. Oh, of course. I agree with you. And you, you can't, can't look opportunity. No, you can't win if you don't play. Yeah. Well, right. And you can't not look at every opportunity. I tell people this all the time, and I'm sure you know this. Networking is huge. You never know when you have one conversation with that one person, how that will lead to 75 conversations with other people, which will lead to an eventual gig or a job or whatever. So you can never take for granted one opportunity to connect with another person. I think wholeheartedly that's a huge thing. Absolutely. Um, definitely. And knowing when no, to say no is every bit as important as knowing when to say yes. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm bad at that. I'm like, yes. I'm a total yes man. Because otherwise woman, you can get overloaded yes too. Woman. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my world. It just happened today as a matter of fact. It's, it's always yes, 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 because I just feel too guilty to say no. So I'm like, okay, it's fine. Yeah, that doesn't always work. You're absolutely right. See, you just taught me something. You're going to do a donation song, and I'm going to say no more often. Well, you get caught up in the you get caught up in the moment too. Like, oh, hell yeah, that's right. a great idea. I'm in. Right. Oh, wait a minute. Exactly. I have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that can happen. It occurred to me at that and, time. Exactly. No, I know. I know. I'm getting smarter. I'm trying now. Um, I want you to talk about. It's a it's a learning band. process. Well, no, I agree with you. Let's talk about band in a box because you have endorsed that software before. I've seen you talk about it before, etc. So tell people that don't know what band in a box is and why you're such a staunch supporter of it. Uh, it's it's an idea tool, basically. What it is, uh, it's a software p- program that will allow you to type in what chord changes you want in a song and then hit a okay. button for whatever style you want the song to be played in. So so you basically, you still have to write the song. You still have to know what you're doing. But right. it means that you don't have to physically play all the instruments yourself. Ah, uh, okay. Which is great because I'm a it. bass player. I suck at guitar. Oh. I suck at keyboards, but I. So I figure out what the song is going to be. I type in the chord changes, and then I can try it in a variety of styles and a variety of tempos, basically with the click of a mouse, and try it in different ways. And depending on if I'm working with an artist or working with a client that wants something specific, I can take that song, and you know I can play it as a as a country ballad. And I say, you know, I really like that. I wonder what that would sound like if we wanted to do like a big band. Uh, Diana Crawl type arrangement, which I was. Let's find out. Click, click, click. I can send in that. Okay. It's an MP3, and they can hear it that way too. Oh my god, which is that is very, so very cool. cool because it means that I can adjust on the fly. And some of those, some of the demos that I have done with Band in a Box. Well, the song that I was talking about earlier that Tegan Little Chief took to number one on the Aboriginal charts was a Band in a Box demo entirely. I didn't play any real instruments on that. I did the track in Band in a Box, and I threw a vocal on top of it and sent it off to her. And oh it was God. solid enough that for her to take to the producer and say, this is what I want. And the producer then brought in real musicians to play the stuff, of course. Uh, but in, in terms of the feel, in terms of the tempo and the attitude of the song, just like the demo. And to me, that is a huge, huge thing because the way it works nowadays is if you take a song in that's just a straight guitar vocal demo, half the time the producer can't hear the potential of the song. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the uh, the ears for it anymore like they used to in a lot of cases. So you have to go in with something that's fully produced. Now, how do you do that? You can go in and spend $2,000 in a recording studio 
and basically wind up hugely in the hole before you even pitch the song, or you can find a way to do it on a cheap at home. And right. I choose option B every time. I agree with you. Because 100%. it means I have low overhead, and I can do what I want to do, and I can make it sound like I'm hearing it in my head. And to me, that's the thing. They can make it – they've made the soft, the software is so advanced now. It was pretty chintzy when, I, when they first started. It was all MIDI tracks, and it sounded like it. But now they're using samples and loops of real musicians and real top-notch players, um, like Nashville A-list guitar players like Brett Mason playing guitar parts for them and stuff like that. And uh, the software has become so easy to use and so intuitive that if I'm hearing it in my head, I can figure out a way to make it work with, with the software. And they have been hugely supportive of the kind of stuff that I'm doing as well. And uh, we have a bit of a mutual admiration society going on. (laughs) I love that. That, No, that's awesome, though. That is totally cool. So it's a company from Victoria, B.C. called PG Music. And the product is Band in a Box. And they've just released uh, the 2017 version. And I haven't got it yet. But uh, every time they do a new update, there's 40 or 50 new features that make it even better and easier to work with and more more versatile. And it's a great tool for jazz musicians as well because you can type in just basic chords and then you can hit a button and it will do the jazz inversions and the ninths and the sevenths and all the weird stuff that the jazz players like to do. And it will reharmonize the song using using jazz chords for them. And uh, you can also set up backing tracks with it that you can use to play your own soloing over top of and uh, practice your music that way too. It's a wonderful, Oh my God, is that cool? Software. It does. It sounds terrific. That's awesome. Wonderful. Well, good. Well, thank you. It, you know, and, only because uh, I like to expose the audience to do things. I think that's really cool. Oh, Not that I'm a musician. I love, cool. I love promoting them too. No, I love I love promoting them because they're great people to work with, and I think their product is absolutely amazing and deserves wider exposure. So I'm all for awesome. it. Awesome. That is amazing. That is cool. Now, talk to me about that damn Kenny Chesney song. I saw that, and I started to laugh. And I'm like, what the hell does he mean by that damn <laughs> Kenny Chesney song? I love Kenny Chesney, and I'm not going to lie. I think all of us women love him. Well, we just love him. Let's just put it that way. We just love you know, him. I think he's absolutely he's so brilliant. Pretty. I know, right? And he's pretty. Not that that should matter, but he's but he's pretty. Just saying. Sorry, that's just well, one of those. He is. He is a good looking guy. Back. I can he's definitely. He's very good that. looking, isn't he? He wouldn't be my man crush. Well, I yeah, I get that, but still, you know. So what? What thought about that damn Kenny Chesney song? Because I'm like, seriously, we love him. Okay. We love him. Well, you know when you're driving in the car and like you'll hit, you'll be listening to the radio and the same song will yes. come on. And it'll come on like like three or four different times you get in the car. Just by coincidence, it'll be at the same point in the playlist, and the same stupid song will play yes. over and over again. And you'll get tired of it, yes. and you'll start switching stations, and it'll keep coming up on yes. whatever station you punch it to. Well, it was one of those. And it was a summer that he was having a really, really huge radio hit, and it was okay. just everywhere. You know, you walk into Walmart, it's playing over the PA system. You uh, get in the car and turn it on, and it's playing on the country station. You switch over to the pop station, and they've got a pop remix of the thing playing. You know, and like just, okay. it was everywhere. And I had another song that I was working on. And I realized halfway through that, oh, crap, I've got to trash this one. It's the same chords as that damn Kenny Chesney song. <laughs> that is too funny. I can so just when see I was the look on the, your face, too. 
and it does happen. You know, you're gonna be you know you're gonna be writing something or you're gonna be singing something and oh that sounds familiar. What is that? And well, you know, it happens to the pros. You know, like George Harrison with My Sweet Lord and He's So Fine by the Chiffons. You know, like oh my god, I a love terrible that terrible mistake. Oh my goodness gracious! But yeah, oh. that. And it does happen, you know, and I always try and stop myself before it happens. And right. I, I realized halfway through writing a song that, oh, crap, I'm just rewriting that Kenny Chesney song. And gotcha. the idea of that damn Kenny Chesney song just as a phrase, I thought was pretty damn funny, so I wrote it down. It is funny. And, that's the <laughs> one reason it caught my attention. I was like, seriously, is he kidding about this? Apparently you're not kidding about that because that's what I wanted to ask you about. I'm like, who the hell writes a song called that damn Kenny Chesney song? And I'm like, I wonder if Kenny Chesney knows about that. Maybe we should tweet him and say, do you know there's that damn Kenny Chesney song? It's got your name in it? Or would that get you in trouble probably? You know Maybe. I don't know. He was touring with Brad Paisley one summer, and I actually tried to pitch it to Brad Paisley. Cause I thought oh, it would be my really God. Would that be cool, Paisley. right? <laughs> But I couldn't get it past his man. I couldn't get past his management office. <laughs> oh my god, try. that is too I did hard. try. God. Well, but okay. to, to take the that. conversation back a little bit, this is a demo. The, the, the song you're about to play is the actual yeah. band in a box demo. The only real instrument on there is the bass part. The rest of it is all computer. I think you would be wrong. Generated. Now, which which song do you think I'm going to play? Well, you told me you were going to play I, that I demo. Played full of Actually, no, I'm not. I just want to talk about that damn Kenny Chesney song. Oh. The other one that I'm going oh, to I'm play sorry. Okay. is I'll Bring the Party. Because <laughs> I like it. I, I like I'll Bring the Party. So I picked that. I'm sorry I didn't pick Kenny Chesney. Sorry. That's sorry. okay. I'm glad you're playing I'll Bring the Party. You're playing Tegan's version well, of yeah. though, right? Well, right. Yes. And I like that. Good. And so I'm like, okay, fine. So we'll play that. But we're not going to play it right now because I'm going to talk to you a little bit more. So I was curious because just so you folks know that are listening in, Terry, the majority of the time, the, the sense that I get is that he is usually composing music that, of course, there's a number of different artists that are using his music. So I wanted to curiosity begged for me to ask you if you've been writing songs and performing them yourself, meaning like I wrote this song for Terry, meaning myself, and I played it myself at a gig or, or wherever, meaning do you often write for yourself or is it just primarily now at this point all the various different artists? Primarily I'm writing with the intention of pitching to other artists. And in most cases nowadays uh, I'm actually writing with the artist. That okay. being said, I do three, three or four shows a year where okay. I go out and perform my own stuff. And uh, this year it looks like it's going to be a fairly busy one because I've already done one show and I've got a second one already booked. Um, okay. A lot of times it's songwriter circle uh, type shows where you'll have three or four different songwriters up on the stage at once and they'll take turns doing songs and telling the stories behind them and that sort of thing. Those are my Absolutely. favorite shows to do and they're my favorite shows to attend as a, as a listener as well. Oh, I imagine. And uh, those are great because I can talk about the songs and I can actually uh, also promote the artist that's going to be doing them and that sort of thing as well, which is also a good thing. But everybody wins in a situation like that. Plus, you get to hear the song done in a very stripped-down acoustic version, like the version of Bulletproof you played. Uh, right. Well, that's a recording that I did with the guitar player that I usually play with. It's not a very good recording because it wasn't intended to be anything more than a rehearsal tape. But uh, uh, okay, sure. But it turned out pretty well. It turned out very well. And uh, that's the version that we usually do live. And I can go out with a song that has been done with a full band in the studio and do an acoustic uh, version of it and pull it off live in most cases. And to me, that's a lot of fun because I'm getting that direct audience feedback that I don't normally get as a, as a songwriter right. because I'm not the one out there oh, usually correct. performing it. 
Correct. No, I totally get what you're talking about. And, you know, I know that you mentioned the writing thing, and we started talking about this, of course, but I know that you've written with our, our friend Marshall Dane before, and, of course, with Chelsea Critus before. And I wanted to ask you if you've seen either or recently, because I haven't talked to them recently. I saw that Chelsea wasn't feeling well not so long ago. And, of course, Marshall is on a whirlwind. I'm telling you, every time I turn around, he's performing and playing someplace. And he's such a darling man. Oh, my God. One of the nicest people you ever want to talk to. He's- I don't need to tell you that. I know you know. Oh, Marshall's great, and he's like, he's like the Energizer Bunny. That guy just doesn't have an off button. Uh, he's just go, go, go. And uh, eventually, he uh, you know he, he broke his leg rather badly a couple of years ago and had to take some time off. But right. even that didn't slow him down. He kept doing what he could do from home and from his chair. Oh, and, I bet. Uh, but he's a he's a dynamite performer. He's somebody that you really should oh, go yeah. see live if you get a chance to see him. Oh, I would love to. Uh, Chelsea, I don't know quite as well. Okay. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. But Chelsea, no, no, I don't know okay. quite as well. Okay. Uh, she's another one that I think is going to be a, uh, someone to watch because uh, she's come a very, very long way in a short time as a, I as know, a singer right? and, she's, and she's, as a writer herself. Right. I know. And she she's is. Sweet and, her, and she's she young is. and pretty and, oh, my God, too sweet. She is. Just and I opinion. think she could have a very, very long, long and healthy career, I think. But, no, I But I you don't know. Yeah, you know, I wrote with both of these people before they were that well-known. Uh, and you know, Chelsea particularly. I wrote. I was writing with her when she was sixteen or seventeen, and oh the stuff God. that I was writing with her wouldn't be appropriate for her now because she's grown so much already as an artist. Right. Oh, you betcha. Without and I'm knowledge. hoping to write with her again. Oh, that would be awesome. Next time I talk to her, I'll let her know that. I'll be like, hey, we just talked to Terry and blah, blah, blah. Because I want to touch base with them because I usually like to have people. I like repeat performers. Like they were on the show and then they come back again because I want to see how the progression's gone. Like for the year, year and a half that they were oh, on yeah. or whatever have you. So I'd like to do that. That would be awesome. Now, I also know that you were a featured performer at the Diamonds in the Rough Showcase uh, during Country Music Week. And that is so exciting. So talk to me about what kind of experience that was. Did that freak you out a little bit? Because I imagine that's got to be a big, that's, that's a big Kudos to you. It, it was great. It was huge for me because it was in London, Ontario this year. It was, this is uh, one okay. of the showcases that takes place during the Canadian Country Music Awards. Right. Uh, so basically it's our equivalent of CMA weekend. Uh, so it was a big deal. And uh, I wound up in a showcase on the last night of the, of the weekend after the actual award show. The very, very last performance of the night was me. And... Uh, Everybody's you know, half in the bag and they're exhausted. They've been listening to music nonstop all weekends. You know, so I figured, you know, thirty, forty people, you know, not that big thing. So, you know, I felt I thought the pressure was off, and I treated it as such. And I was went in relaxed and did my thing. And it, there turned out to be about three hundred people in the room, and it was just a blast. Nice. And uh, oh the conversation, God. the conversation instantly changed from being. Yeah, we should write together. That would be great. To when are we gonna write? You know, so instantly it went from being big platitudes to let's set something up. And uh, cool. with a lot of people that were in that room, and I re- and so it turned into a huge, huge opportunity for me that I wasn't really expecting it to be. But for me, okay. it was basically a chance to go down and play a handful of my songs for some people that I knew were interested. And that oh, was the cool. way I approached it, and I had a really good time. That's awesome. Absolutely. And kudos to you on that. That's so exciting when something like that happens. I'm like, oh, my God, that must be amazing. So kudos to you on that one, of course. Um, now the And to make it even sweeter, it was yeah. close to my hometown as well. Oh, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Too. Oh. It was like playing, it was, so, like playing at home. So, yeah, it was a city kind that of. I used to live in. Oh, my god. It gosh. was London, Ontario. It was like 40 miles from where I grew up. So it was, like, it was basically as close as I'll ever get to playing a hometown gig. 
and that was pretty cool. And that, that's awesome. That is cool. Congratulations. That's neat. I like that. Oh, that's an awesome moment there. That's amazing. Now, um, I don't need to tell you that the testament, and I could go on and on all night knowing about his nominations and things that have come up for awards here, obviously, but I will mention um, the Juno Award, the Saskatchewan Country Music Award nomination for Song of the Year, the Juno Award for Best Aboriginal Recording. I can't spell because I can't read my own handwriting. Aboriginal. Exactly. Yeah, basically the the, uh, Aboriginal Recording Award. That That was for my first cut as a songwriter, too, that one. Oh my uh, God! I wrote that one with the artist. Uh, okay. His name was Donnie Peronto. He's a, a an artist from yeah, Prince Albert, I've Saskatchewan, and okay, he's known uh, in the states primarily as being Neil McCoy's fiddle player for twelve years. Okay. So we had some uh, we had some people in Nashville who got to hear it, and they were they were buzzed about it too, and they thought it was great. But uh, Donnie put out the album up here, released the song as the first single off the album, and we got the Song of the Year nomination in Saskatchewan for that one. And I thought, well, this is pretty great. And uh, then the album went on to get a Juno nomination, which is the equivalent up here to the Grammys, uh, like it's as big as it gets in Canada. And uh, oh my God, we. We didn't win the award, but to, to actually be nominated and uh, to like, I think I think Ronnie uh, Robbie Robertson had an album out that year that was nominated, and Bucky Saint Marie had an album that was nominated. Like just to be on an album that got that kind of attention was just way beyond my wildest expectations. <laughs> oh, I bet. And that was and, a huge, huge thing. Oh, I bet, without a doubt, absolutely. Speaking of national Aboriginal charts. The song we're going to be playing tonight, I'll Bring the Party, hit number one on the National Aboriginal Charts in Canada. That's so exciting. God, I just get goosebumps just listening to that. That's amazing. You guys will like the song. I've listened to it this evening among a few others, so we'll get to that in a second. But before I play that music, I wanted to talk about the two things that people may not know, which is you've done two different CDs, Second Chances and, of course, First and Foremost. So tell people kind of the who, what, when, and why on that, meaning can they still access both of those CDs. Tell us um, approximately when both of them came out, and tell me a little bit about how successful both of them were. And are there any differences between the two in terms of music and style? Uh, basically, what they are is they're collections of some of the demos that I've done here at home. Um, okay. I did them initially just basically to use as samplers to uh, to give to people that I wanted to work with or to sell off the stage at the occasional shows that I did. So nothing really okay. high and lofty there. They never made it onto iTunes or anything like that. But uh, I can, you can still order them off my website, and I burn them to, I burn them to fill orders at this point off my own computer. <laughs> so oh, wow. no fancy packaging or anything like that. Or okay. you can buy, or you can uh, order them as downloads, and I will actually send you the MP3 tracks, and uh, do it that way if you if you'd like to do it that way. Um, basically, cool. the idea for me was just to have something that I could uh, sell to my friends and family and help finance new equipment or just just to give me some uh, validation for what I'm doing. And I wound up selling about 100 copies of each of the two CDs with, uh, with no promotion oh. whatsoever and only doing two or three shows a year. And I uh, got reviewed by Maverick Magazine in the UK. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which I thought was really, really crazy. You know, like, so it didn't, they didn't make it into the print version of the magazine, but they made it onto the web edition. Uh, so uh, in the review section of the, the month that the guy reviewed them, he reviewed both of them at once. And mm-hmm. uh, on one side of them is a Rodney Crowell review, and on the other side is a Dolly Parton review. And here I am stuck in the middle of that, and I got higher star ratings than either of them on their album. And I thought it was oh like the weirdest thing. You know, I thought it was really funny. <laughs> wow. Wait, how do you know, right? 
Right. Well, of course. And like no. the song, the songs themselves, I feel are, you know, they're good, but they're not professionally recorded. My vocals are so-so and they're done in my home studio. Like there's nothing really extraordinary about the recording process or anything like that with them. They're just, you know, they're just my home brewed demos, but <laughs> the songs themselves seem to touch a nerve with some people. So there you go. Hmm. Now my question is, do you foresee yourself doing another one of those CDs somewhere in the future? I'm hoping to do one this year. Uh, hmm. I thought I was going to be doing it last year, but then real life stuff got in the way, and I just never got around to doing it. But I've got enough songs put together now that I could do one. Uh, it's difficult, more difficult now because I'm doing so much co-writing with other people uh, for right. their projects, and I'm not spending as much time on writing on my writing by myself. So it's taking longer to compile the songs this time. But yes, there will be another one. Absolutely. And it's, it's going to be uh, the title is going to be Third Times the Charm. Oh, I like that. That's really, really cool. I do. I think that's awesome. Sharing with okay, that brings, so, us, go. that brings us to I'll Bring the Party, so give us another little intro on this one. This one I like. I definitely like this song, without a doubt. It's just very catchy, and it just, it's been stuck in my ear, literally stuck in my ear. So tell the folks a little bit about I'll Bring the Party. Okay, the quick version of the story is I got a call from a producer that I knew in Winnipeg. And he said, I've got, I'm working with a young singer. She's looking for something really badass, you know, very high energy, mm-hmm. Carrie Underwood, Miranda Lambert type stuff. Do you, do you have anything? I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll get it to you tonight. And then and I went downstairs and wrote it. Wow. <laughs> Pitched it. I, I, sent the, I sent the MP3 off to him at about 2 o'clock in the morning. He messaged me back the next day. He said, I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. And he sent it to the artist, and she got in touch with me, and she loved it. And she said, yeah, this is fantastic. It's perfect. It's exactly what I was looking for. And then about three days later, she uh, texted me back. and said, yeah, you know that song? Well, it's not really going that well with the rest of the songs on the record, so we're going to pass on it. Oh, no. Uh, oh, man. And later that day or the next day was when I got the call from Calgary from my buddy Troy Kokel, who's an amazing okay. songwriter out there. And he mm-hmm. said, uh, I just got a call from a, a woman named Tegan Littlechief. She's looking for something. She's going into the studio next week. Do you have anything that might work? She's looking for something like really rocking. She's like a little fireball of energy. What do you got? Sure. I said, I've got the perfect song for her. I sent it off to her. And that was the song. Yeah, I, wrote it in, oh I wrote it in 20 minutes, demoed it in an hour, and uh, it got turned down on the first pitch. The second pitch happened a couple of days later, and bang, number one hit. That is awesome. You never Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Look at that. All right, I'm going to shut up. You're going to shut up for three minutes and 27 seconds, and let's listen to I'll Bring the Party. <clears throat>
And then you people wonder why I love that song so much. Oh, my God, love, 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 love. So two wonderful songs. Absolutely. See how quick this time goes? What it's a powerhouse like people vocalist. just think, oh, right? And people always think that this show is just going to drag in because they're like an hour. And I'm like, oh, my God, see, we're almost at an hour and a half. See how the time goes? It's like it's amazing to me. It just goes so fast. So I hope that I've made you more comfortable to where it's not like a radio show interview, you know, like one of those, like I'm dreading this radio show interview, like it's original and out of the ordinary. So we have. It's great. I'm loving this. Thank you. We have two business things to do, and I'll let you get on with your evening. Actually, I have a fun-filled evening of – oh, wait, I'm not going out, actually. I've had a beverage or two, and now I'm thinking I might want to do a Mad Men marathon tonight. I haven't watched that for a while. Do you guys have Mad Men over there? Did you guys get that series over there? It's available here. We haven't, we haven't watched it, but it is available here. I was uh, just going to say, yeah, I get the first season. I don't know if you've seen the – uh-uh. The DVDs just arrived for season three of Sherlock for us. We just got them tonight, so oh, we're all better nice. week planned. I got you. There you go. And I, I'm just excited tonight because I'm like, well, if there's nothing on TV, let's just plop in Mad Men because there's no such thing as a bad Donald Draper. So I'm like, it's either that or Sopranos night because I might be into that. We'll see. So there's two last things that I have to do with every interview. First of all is I'm going to go through all the various ways for people to find you on social media and otherwise. So let me read through all of this. Let me know if I've missed anything. Um, so here we go. The actual original website is www, and it's Terry, T-E-R-R-Y. His last name is spelled F-E-R-N-I-H-O-U-G-H.com. Also, uh, he has a, a bleh, I can't talk, Facebook personal page as well, same name. His Twitter handle is at T-R, and then again spelled F-E-R-N-I-H-O-U-G-H. He can also be found on CD Baby, Songwriter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reverb Nation. He also has an IMDB profile. He also has a Facebook page for, which is also Terry Fernio Songwriter. So there's a personal page and then there's an actual songwriter page. And I do not want to forget this. Darn it, because I didn't mention it. But Terry is also one of the founding members of um, Country Music Association of Ontario. So we don't want to forget to mention that, which is www.cmaontario, which is O-N-T-A-R-I-O, because that's an important thing. I Darn it, I wanted to mention that about the CMA thing. Um, so you can be found there as well. Did I miss any place where people can find you? Uh, I'm not on a CD baby, but other than that, we're dead on. I'm talking to number internet then, research. That's it. Darn it. Okay, so you're not on a CD you baby. Rest right Let's check the CMAO website, and you got the correct website for them as well. So everything's yes, perfect. of course I did, because that's absolutely important. So the very... Excuse me. The very last thing that I want to do is the same thing I do with every radio show, if you've listened to it before, which is I get to tell the guests what I think of him, and then I'll let you go off on your merry way. And the reason that I do this is not only is it not scripted, that means it's original and from my heart, but more importantly, it gives the audience members a chance to find out what I think of you personally and professionally. So I never know how these are going to go. Sometimes people cry. People sometimes don't have anything to say, like they can't talk. So I'm like, okay, so hopefully this won't freak you out. But these are my impressions of you, Mr. Terry. Um, first of all, I had to look up on his Facebook page how to pronounce his last name. That's kind of gay, I know. But it's um, it's Fernio, and I think I got that right because it even says on your page pronounce you it, did get it Terry right. Fernio. Yes. So these are my impressions of Terry Fernio. So here we go. The very first time and the very last time I talked to him and every conversation in between has always been a symphony of support and sweetness. That's first and foremost, in my opinion, the mark of an average, wonderful individual. 
first of all, anyone who is as supportive as me, supportive of me as he is, should give himself his own award because I have to tell you that I'm a difficult pain in the ass sometimes. So the fact that people give me such allegiance, such loyalty, such love, and such likeness, as I call it, is absolutely amazing. One of the coolest things about Terry is that he doesn't take himself too seriously, nor does he take his work too seriously. By that I mean. He takes what he does with a passion and a purpose. However, he never gets too fully ingrained upon anyone or anything to the point of too much seriousness or too much silliness, as I call it. You're a very intense individual, but you're also very interesting. You're very intelligent. The work that you produce is important, and it's also the highest quality. What I've noticed about some of the songs that you've produced is of high quality, high sound, the genre that it is, it fits in and fits within its genre well. And more importantly, it's music that people want to listen to. It's music that makes people want to move. And more importantly, it's music that people want to pay attention and notice. You are noticeable. The work that you do is noticeable. The people that you you co-mingle, as I call it, with are not only creative chameleons, as I call it, because they're multitasking, but more importantly, they're kind and wonderful individuals that bring everything they have on stage, just like you bring everything that you have to a keyboard or to a notebook or to whatever mechanism that you're writing your next song on. I have to tell you that of all the men that I know in Canada, you're probably one of the most humble, the most humane, and one of the most honored that I am to know because you are that talented and you are that truly sensational. The best part of knowing you isn't that you write songs, it's that you write messages and you write melodies continue to do so every time you do your work. So if anyone hasn't reminded you lately, you have passion and purpose, but you matter because your work matters to me and so many others. It's a gift to know you. It's a gift to expose the world to you. And I hope that I die still knowing you and all of the talents that you possess. You really are a true gift. And I appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. How's that? Well, I'm not speechless very often. <laughs> oh my God! That was Why awesome. do people stop talking? I, I don't like, even Yo. know what to say. I'm like they stop talking. That's what people That's... say. They're like, I don't know what to say. I'm like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I just told you what I thought. That was wonderful. That's honest. That was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. I Thank you so that. much. And well, I've waited a long time to tell you that. The feeling is absolutely mutual. Oh, he likes me. He really likes me. Oh, I almost forgot. I have one more question for you. I almost forgot. This is like yeah, the magic million-dollar question. I know you're going to do this for me, Terry, because we're friends, and I know you know that this matters. I've been asking every one of my show guests, and I know you're going to say yes. So I know you're going to tell me that you have actor Michael Madsen's phone number and that you're going to give it to me because he's like, as you know, I've been trying to get Michael Madsen on my show for a year and a half. And I know you've got his phone number. I'm sure you're going to tell me. I have a cell phone, Cindy, and I'm going to get him on your show. You're going to do it. You're going to say yes right now. I know Michael Madsen. I have a cell phone number. You could do it right now. You're not going to do God, it. God, I wish I could. Shit. <laughs> what do I have to do? Give up my kids? Come on. Nobody's got the number. Who's got I, this I, guy's I, number? Come on. You know what? If I knew him, if I had his oh. number, you'd be the first person I would give it to. I love you. See what I'm talking about? Why would that be so hard? You can play six degrees of... You know what? Six Call Kevin Bacon. Matthew. He must know him. I know, right? I'm sure he knows him, but I'm like, I keep getting close. I'm like, I'm so close. No, I'm not. I'm so close. Yes, I am. So it's like the running game on my show now. Literally, it's like I ask every single person, like, do you know Michael Manson? Do you have his phone number? I'm like, I'm not really a stalker. I don't have any pictures. There's no candles. I'm not doing anything creepy. I just keep asking people. But, and it's always the same answer. No, 
I don't know him. Well, you know no, what? They shoot I'm so many movies here in Ottawa. You just never know when that could happen. <gasps> right? You know, I've, I've been oh, my on, God. I've been on set with Michael... I've been on set with Michael Keaton and Michelle Monaghan, but I've never met either. Oh, my God. But if I were on, I if I were on set with Michael... If, if I ever end up on set with Michael Madsen, I'll try to find right. a way to get... I'll find a way oh to get God. through him. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Now, on that note, now that I've left you speechless, right. I'm going to let you get off to your evening. This has been awesome. Well, I have a question for you before you again. go. Yes. Sure. I totally agree. But I have a question for you before you go. Who's yes, Michael sir? Madsen? Oh, my God. Are you joking? I just heard the words, who is Michael Madsen? He's, I don't think I've ever heard that in my life. He's are you guy, joking? I am no, I'm not totally joke? joking. I know he's an actor, but he's on, is he on Mad Men? He's, okay, he's a guy on Mad Men. Have you ever heard right? of? No, no, no. He is a he's a movie actor. Like for instance, have you seen Reservoir Dogs or Donnie Brasco? Free Willy, like the 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 movie Free Willy. Oh, he was he's a done like two hundred seventy five million. Oh, like Salmon Louise. He was okay, the boyfriend yes, of Susan Sarandon. If you Google Michael Madsen, M-A-D-S-E-N, and look at him, you'll know who I'm talking about. Like if you look at him, you'll be like, oh, I know who oh, that I, actor is. You know what I mean? Just Google him. Uh, yeah, I do know who you're talking about now. I've seen Reservoir Dogs, and I've seen okay. Free Willy. So, yeah, I know who he is. So, you know yeah. who I'm talking about. See, so you know what I, I mean. He's been in, like, oh, I my do, God, yeah. he's been in okay. everything. Yeah, so I'm like, but thanks for not hooking me up. We're not friends anymore, but okay. Just kidding. Not, well, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, that's okay. You, you, can keep troll, you can keep trolling me on Facebook, then. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. <laughs> All right, my dear, I'm going to let you go before I kick your whole night away. I love you. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for coming on the show, and I'll be in touch, as always, as you know. Thank you for sharing your story. Love you back, Cindy. You are awesome. Thank you. All Bye-bye. right, honey. Have a good night. Oh, my God, right? Fabulous. Phenomenal. What the hell is up with my guest constantly saying I'm speechless when she talks? I don't understand. I'm thinking that's a good thing. And, hey, look, surprise, he doesn't have Michael Madsen's phone number. Shocker. So I'm back at the start again. One more time. Terry Fernio is how it's pronounced. And, again, website, www.terryfernio.com. And just so you know, the spelling is F-E-R-N-I-H-O-U-G-H.com. He's also on Facebook with uh, his personal name as well as uh, Terry Fernio Songwriter. So either or songwriter component, meaning to keep track of his whereabouts and what he's doing. www.cmaontario.ca, which is, of course, the Canadian Music Association of Ontario, of which he's a founding member of. So do check out their activities as well. He has a Twitter handle, which is at TRFernio. He's on Reverb Nation, YouTube, LinkedIn, and he has an IMDb profile, of course, for, due to his contributions in film. want to remind everybody tomorrow, Mike Excuse me, Mark Myers is coming on the show at 3.30 Central Standard Time because I am so excited that we are promoting a local play. It's not very often that I get an opportunity to have local individuals come on the show. But it just so happens that my girlfriend, Candy Parra, so very proud of you, is one of the cast members that's going to be in the show. The name of the play, and it is debuting actually this weekend, is called Blind Dating at Happy Hour. Actually debuts Friday at 7.30 Central Standard Time. That's at the Lake Country Playhouse, which is located at 221 East Capitol Drive in Hartland, Wisconsin. Starts January 27th. The director, Mark Myers, on the show tomorrow, 3.30 Central Standard Time. We'll be talking about blind dating. We'll be talking about his directing experience and how to get tickets and how to get a chance to go to the Red Carpet Premiere and meet me and Candy and the director both. So... Thank you so very much for tuning in. Thank you so much to Terry for being such a wonderful guest. Thank you to my listening audience. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being so attentive. I will talk to you guys tomorrow at 3.30. Have a wonderful evening.